This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower because nobody else volunteered. I'm here today with a longtime friend, uh, used to be a frequent guest, hadn't been on for a bit. Guy Timberlake, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to see you again. Yeah, you may know him as go-to Guy Timberlake. So, Guy, fill in the blanks for the three people out there who may not know who you are. Tell them who you are and what you do. (laughs) Well, my my name truly is Guy Timberlake, but uh, pretty much everyone calls me go-to Guy Timberlake. It's a uh, uh, tag that I picked up working with the Navy and the Air Force many years ago, mainly because they found me trustworthy and reliable. So they called me their go-to guy. But uh, I have, um, since 2004, been leading the American Small Business Coalition. Uh, we actually pivoted and changed our name to GovCon Club about a year ago. But we are having some some reconsidering that. We may go back to the original name. But we're a membership community for government contractors, small, medium, and large, uh, and the government. And we do the kind of stuff to help people win using community knowledge and growth as the tenants of what we do. Cool. So govcon.club, right? Yep. Govcon.club is the current website. If if you still dial it up as the ASPC.org, it'll, it'll get you there too. All right. So for those of you listening, wherever you might be, uh, when Timberlake and I get together, usually it's over a meal and the conversation rambles. So if this sounds like a lunch or breakfast discussion, it, it, probably is uh it's the way we are guy that's how it Uh, works absolutely how it works indeed so um we we have basically six topic areas to cover today and i know one of your pet peeves recently and i've seen several discussions on it not just from you but from a couple other people you know the the rfi conundrum um what 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 is the rfi conundrum (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, this is, I don't know if we have enough tape for this one, Mark, let me tell you. But uh, no, it's, you know, RFI, Request for Information, is one of the methods used by the U.S. government when they are seeking input, feedback um, from industry, typically about their approach to a requirement. And, And often it's usually tied to maybe their procurement strategy, but it can also be tied to the solution itself, how they should uh, acquire it or how it should be uh, leveraged. And the the issue with RFIs, which has always been the case, is that they, they go into a black hole. Agencies are not required to re- really do anything with, with RFIs. There's no follow-up. There's no tracking. There's no you know, formal disposition, you know, you're not going to get a debrief with these. It's that type of thing. And what has happened is in, in the years since, you know, Mark, I was taking your classes, you know, when I was still on the sell side before the American Small Business Coalition, RFI utilization has changed dramatically. 
I can tell everyone, I don't ever recall ever spending more than an hour responding to an RFI in the days when I was still selling. But I, I now companies see companies today literally spending days on responding to RFIs. And, and the big part of it is because agencies, contracting is requesting more information that really, for me, kind of crosses some lines uh, as to the purpose of an RFI. Okay, so RFIs used to be used, maybe they still are, uh, occasionally for shaping a procurement. They they have a nebulous requirement or an idea, and they want to know what industry has that moves them in the direction of a solution. Is that still part of the case? And, and that, that is definitely still part of the case. I've seen them used, again, for everything from you know, literally, how should we buy this? You know, and, and, you know, a lot of times you'll get that as a source of sought, but even in the RFIs, a lot of times it'll be, you know, if you have this available on Oasis, let us know. If you have this available on a GSA schedule. Um, but a lot of times the RFI will start digging into, um, again, the, the specifics of what is to be procured, product or service, and, and the government may just want some additional clarity on, on what is the best way, based on industry feedback, what is the best way to do that? I, let me say it this way. One of the things, Mark, I can tell you, I honestly don't remember ever doing was submitting pricing information with an RFI uh, in those days. That has become fairly standard uh, nowadays. Not only that, but even information about the specifics of your teaming strategy uh, and the names of your teammates. Or, I mean, there's a lot of things in here that are requested that don't seem to fit the bill for a couple reasons. One is this, the protections that are afforded to respondents for an RFI are different from those in an RFP or RFQ. Um, and so what happens is the information you submit in the RFI literally is considered public information. Now, I don't know that the government goes around giving it out. I don't know if you can FOIA it or not. But in a sense, the government's really not under any obligation to protect it. Um, whereas in an RFP, RFQ, there's very clear lines about what information can be disclosed um, to anyone. And... The other part is with the RFIs that we're seeing there. So it's a couple issues. And I just saw one recently. So the government is using a process with RFIs in some cases, don't quite know how rampant it is yet, where that is effectively a down select for getting access to an RFP. And so if you don't respond to the RFI, you don't get a chance to bid. And you, re- you never really know which ones hold those, on, those on, are going to be. Hold on. If you don't respond to the RFI, you're you, off the bid list? Yeah. you know, they will, they will, they, The government has the ability to send the RFP to a, a group of vendors that responded to the RFI. They can send it to all of them or some of them. Um, and we've seen this happen a few times too. And again, I don't have a problem with that so much. It, it really is more of what the government is asking for in the RFI 
which is some of the same information that you're going to have to put into your RFP response. If if you respond with a price in the RFI, are you locked into that price? I, you know what? I don't know legally that answer, but what I know is an RFI is not considered an offer to the government. Right. So my, my answer would be no, that it would not, you would not be bound to it. And because it's not an offer, which which also raises the question of why does the government need to see pricing at this level? Because they can't make an award from an RFI unless someone's going to write a sole source justification. Hmm. Intriguing. Yeah. So there's there's a lot going on. I've written a couple articles about this. One I called Money for Nothing. And just really just kind of pointing out some of the things that we're seeing. I've had a lot of folks from government kind of jump on the bandwagon from both sides and say how important they are to them. And some say there's some overreach going on. So there, there's, you know, dissent on both sides of the aisle. One of the things that we're actually doing um, coming up uh, next month in May is an RFI town hall meeting. And we've got some friends coming out from government, both on the contracting and acquisition side. We have a couple of large companies in the room and some small businesses and we're going to just talk it out and talk out what is the purpose of an RFI? Why do agencies use it? How should, you know, um, industry respond to it? And one of the things that I've told people more and more is the level of due diligence that you do in deciding how to respond to an RFP now should apply to RFIs also. Because it still takes time and money. And in some cases, the amount of time required to respond to some of the RFIs, you're taking away budget and resources from actual revenue producing RFPs and RFQs. Okay. Intriguing. Uh, I was going to start on the next topic, but right now we're going to take a break and we'll just go along on the next segment. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. My guest is go-to guy Timberlake, and we shall return right after this. Welcome back to Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Guy Timberlake of the American Small Business Coalition and the GovCon Club. Um, Guy, um, you have some thoughts regarding new contractors. What might those be? <laughs> well, I mean, there, Mark, there's a lot there. I mean, let, let me let me kind of reminisce just for a second back to uh, you know the early days of the pandemic. Um, where we had this phenomena, we call the pop-up vendor, you know, companies that were trying to cash in on PPE and all these different types of things. And there are some folks who saw reasonable success. There are also some folks I know who are now living in Leavenworth uh, as a result of that. And I, I think, you know, part of the story here is government contracting is possible first and foremost. Um, but, I think folks need to have a reality check about what the potential is coming in and, and what this is all about. And although I know there's a tremendous level of push to, you know, put more dollars in the, the, the coffers of small businesses and minority businesses and things of that nature, that is not an excuse to show up with no talent or no capability. And one of the things we're seeing a, a quite a bit of right now is companies coming in 
literally going out, getting their certification, showing up, saying, okay, I'm an 8A, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, where's my work? And and they don't have any ability to really bring value um, to the government or any other company that's out there. And so I, I think folks need to really understand what this is all about. This is not a, a, a handout opportunity, and this is not um, just money free flowing from the trees. You know, we're talking about, you know, objectives and goals of our, our government. We're talking about men and women, you know, people that you know, that I know, potentially family members who are doing jobs out there in the military, in the intelligence community, first responders, you name it, who are going to be impacted by someone trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the government. Um, and well, even, delivering- even if they're not trying to pull the wool over, you know, tell me if you have not had this call. Yep. I had a someone with a legitimate socioeconomic designation call me and they said, I set up my LLC. What should I sell? Where's the low hanging fruit? <laughs> yeah, and, Mark, way, way too often. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, if, if there's fruit in the government market, it ain't low hanging and there's already at least 100 people Hundred companies going for it. Well, if not and, that's, more. That, and that is a spot-on statement, and that's something I've I've been saying to people. You know, low-hanging fruit is a real thing. You know, simplified acquisitions, commercial item acquisitions, things like that. You know, move a little quicker, move a little easier than other types of requirements. But when people think about low-hanging fruit, like, okay, nobody else is looking at this, so I'm going to go sign up, get my company, and go pick the stuff that nobody else is looking at. That just doesn't exist. Um, because I, when I was still selling, I looked for the low-hanging fruit in addition to the whale hunting I was doing, and that's how we kept the lights on and did those kind of things. But, no, Mark, I, I've seen companies talk to companies who show up first, and quite honestly, you know, we we talk we joke about you know some of the folks that have a solution looking for a problem. Well, these are the folks that don't even have a solution, and so they're looking for a solution to bring to a problem without knowing what either one of those is. Got it. Enough said. Uh, <laughs> we could go on and on, but Absolutely. you know my 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 issue with them uh, is if they aren't getting what they want from you, me, or whoever else they call, they're going to go to one of those scam outfits in Florida that calls absolutely everybody that, uh, that registers at Sam and, uh, and then they're really going to get shafted. Well, and Mark, and they're not just in Florida anymore. My friend, they are moving around the country. And I, I did one of my blogs recently. Um, I called it, you know, redefining the beltway bandit. And that's the name I'm now giving to these folks because they're literally taking people to the bank, selling them stuff that they don't need or selling them stuff that they can't use or just taking their money and giving them nothing for it. And so whether it's the the SAM registration, the GSA schedule, the business development or market research support, they're, they're coming out of the woodwork right now. And, you know, Mark, you and I have talked about this. Anytime you deal with the amount of money that goes on in this industry, Someone's going to find a way to exploit it, you know, and for nefarious reasons. And we're just seeing it happen more and more. I've had a couple fairly public tips recently on LinkedIn with some of these folks. Um, And, uh, you know, they apparently thought I was going to back down. 
And I said, you must be thinking about my kid brother, not me. Yeah, um, I run a couple of fairly active groups on LinkedIn, and and some of them try to join, and I just say, <laughs> go away. Uh, yeah. Ain't happening. Uh, and I block them from applying again. So, no, I'm not going to not look at you next time. I'll vet you and find you wanting. Right. Um, so that's a new new contractor thing. Follow on to that is is issues around socioeconomic designations. So socioeconomics are relevant and important, um, but not nearly as important as some people believe they are or would like them to be. Um, we we actually just had a program uh, that we did at the Tower Club, Mark. It was called In the KO's Corner, part of the group that I lead over there. And we had five, you know, women on the stage who were all either contracting or acquisition, you know, with touch the contracting from five different agencies. And one of the things that they noted towards the end, this was, you know, our friend Stacy Kulikin from Navy, Anna Ehrman from State Department, you know, um, Michelle Timmons from um, um, DISA and, and, you know, a couple other friends, Constance and Sharonda, who are civilian now, but, or, or contractors. But what they said at the end was, was awesome. We had a, we had a room full of people, great audience that day. And at the very end, they, they said, one thing we wanted to just kind of mention, everybody stood up during the introductions at the beginning except for one company and started the conversation with their socioeconomic designation. And we're going to tell you, honestly, and they're all pretty much not in their heads. You know, when this is being said, we pretty much tuned you out at that point. And the reason why is you demonstrated, you led with something that you felt was important, but you've never really checked to understand that it's really not important to us, at least not in the way it was positioned. And so there was one company that didn't do it, and they called them out and spotlighted them and said, kudos, good job. We're going to remember you, and, we're, and we're, you're going to be, you know, top of mind for us because of what your approach was. And so the whole point of that is, you know, all the years I've been doing this now, I've got 30, whatever the number is now, Mark, um, I've never worked with a customer that this is different than a buyer that cared about a socioeconomic designation. And the only people truly that care about socioeconomic besides SBA for the scorecard are the small business offices and the contracting office when they need to check the box and that's it. But the socioeconomic does not replace capability or experience. We've been saying that for as long as socioeconomic set aside people have been, been around. I, I can go back to <laughs> blogs and articles you've written, Mark, about this, you know, decades ago. Um, there's nothing new here. That That's the whole point. But we have new people. And, and, and unfortunately, and you and I have both seen this, regardless of the administration, anytime you put a, a focus uh, and talk about more money going in a certain area, you know, whether it's women, veterans, you know, SDB, you name it, people are going to flock to it because they're, they're going to be opportunistic about it. And, and that's what we're seeing again. 
Uh, my favorite are when Congress people host these things in their own district. We're going to tell you all about government contracting. Come on in and we'll make sure you get all of the business you need. Yeah. And, uh, you know, say, say what? Um, <laughs> Last time I checked, they did not have warrants. So uh, that wasn't a thing for them. No, but they're encouraging people that have, you know, mom and pop donut shops to do government contract. Now, if you want to cater to the government, you happen to be nearby a federal facility, go in and talk to the uh, small business office and say, hey, you guys need donuts. We're right down the damn street. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) Go talk to MWR at the local naval base or whatever, you know, because they host all the parties and the the get-togethers, the softball game between the NCOs and the, you know, officers. And yeah, it's a great fit, but yeah, and this Mark, this has been one of my big, big, you know, one of the big things that gets stuck in my craw is well-intended people pushing out information with no clear guidance, and 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 this goes along. We we say this all the time, you know. First three things: anybody here is coming in as a government contractor. Get your GSA schedule, become an 8A, and get all your NAICS codes lined up on your profile. Well, you know, that's great, but I'm working in the intelligence community, and I can pretty much count on one hand how much any of those agencies have ever used the GSA schedule. So let's get rid of the schedule. Next up, um, I work with agencies that are subject to OMWI or that are not FAR-based, so they're not operating under the Small Business Act. Next, NAICS codes. Well, let's see. Last time I checked, the I stood for industry. And so what NAICS codes measure are the industry and don't really tell you what the government is buying. That's a different classification system. So it's all these things combined. The people are, I think people are well-intended, but they're reading from a script a lot of times. Well, it's a script written either 50 years ago or a script written by somebody that doesn't have a clue. In nope. either case, we are, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Guy right after this. Welcome back to Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Guy Timberlake of the GovCon Club, GovCon.club. Uh, and he's the founder and chief visionary of the American Small Business Coalition, where I was chairman of the board back in, Lord knows, 20 years ago, <laughs> uh, a few weeks back. Um, Just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, a couple weeks back. Uh, so um, you you have an issue with visibility in the market, and oddly enough, that's a topic I write about with some frequency. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, Mark, look, you know, I, I learned a lot of stuff from you way back when, you know, when we were doing the stuff early on with the classes at the Tower Club and then when you were on the board. And one of the one of the comments that I throw around now just for shock value a lot of times um, is I tell companies all the time, let me tell you about marketing. I'm not a marketing expert, but I can tell you one thing. If your customers can't see you, they can't buy from you. And that usually gets people to sit up straight for a couple minutes and, and pay attention. And we, 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 we talk about it at a high enough level. So we don't try to, you know, I'll say infringe on the space that's occupied by really smart people like you and, you know, Stephanie Geiger and others. But what I'm going to say is this marketing is still 
very much underappreciated and underutilized by government contractors, regardless of size. Um, I, I've seen the government call companies out at conferences where I was participating or a speaker. And I've seen, you know, heads of contracting activities come out and make comments about, look, you know, we're, we're going to go here. We're going to do these things, looking for the information we need. If we don't get it, we're going to move on. And, you know, I've literally had someone years ago from State Department at one a big meeting in D.C. stand up and tell a crowd of contractors generally that their website sucked. Um, and I'm sitting there floored. I mean, it was hilarious. But he said, you guys still think that we're living in those Cold War days where you couldn't say anything, talk about anything. But guess what? Guys, we're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn, okay? And if you're not meeting us there, you're not getting the visibility. So it's one of those things, Mark, that there there seems to still be a separation for people between business development and marketing, which functionally there is, but they're all part of the same system, the BD life cycle. And folks need to learn how to make all these parts play together. You know, I I wrote several pieces for Nick Wakeman at Wash Tech on what differentiates the top 100 from everybody else. I haven't <laughs> written one for a while, but but the bottom line really is that visibility factor, being known. You know, I spoke at uh, the Association for Proposal Management Professionals 10 years running, and the reason they had me back was the number one issue when you're trying to close that business with an agency is the client doesn't know us. Right. And, and, um, and if they don't know you, you know, there's a lot of ways to get around this puppy. Uh, and as you know, as you expect right now, my main answer is LinkedIn. There's two and a half million feds on LinkedIn. I've identified 551 company pages yep. for agencies, operating divisions, offices of federal and DOD and IC yep. uh, people. Everybody's there. Um, and if you don't know how to leverage the platform, you are going to be, you know, Waldo forever. You're going to be that guy in the crowd that people cannot find. Yeah, you know, we were just doing um, one of our webinars, tactics, tools, and resources for connecting the dots. And one of the last things I showed people in there was um, identifying a investment program manager at a federal agency tied to a specific program. And the way that I did it was, besides getting information from another source like the IT dashboard, I went into LinkedIn, pulled up the company page for the agency, searched on the person's name, pulled up their profile, or I searched on the name of the program on, on the company page, pulled up 30 people associated with the program, you know, or, I mean, I can keep going down the list just like that. And, and the whole point is, again, I go back to what I said. Customers can't see you, you know, they can't buy from you. But it also goes further. If you can't see them, you can't sell to them. And so the point, you know, there was an article I wrote, Mark, called Vesting the uh, 80-20 Rule. All right, talking about the Pareto principle. And I literally talked about task order management for all the companies that are now getting all the awards on STARS 3 and all the other contracts. And interesting thing, 
you know, when you when you think about the number of GSA schedules where companies have a goose egg on them, how does that translate into some of these other contract vehicles? And it does. It's it's there. There are companies who honestly believe that by winning a seat on a contract like Stars, that they will somehow be bumped to the front of the line. That all of a sudden now, the magically, the customer is going to see them that they've never spoken to before, and they're going to start getting business from them. And I will tell you, there's only one major contract vehicle that I know of where everybody on the contract has business. And, Mark, you know what it is because you just interviewed her not too long ago. Soup, right? baby, soup. That's Bring right. Me a bowl soup. of soup. Yeah, it's the only one. I can show goose eggs for almost every other contract vehicle out there where people assume they would just get a business, get business for showing up. It don't work that way. Joanne doesn't like companies on the contract that don't produce. So their staff at Soup works with every contractor to make sure they know how to leverage the vehicle and they know how to submit whatever uh, uh, bidding process is required. That's why they hit $10 billion in FY21. Everybody's out there working it hard. Indeed it is. So, um, on you know, again, on, on the visibility side, it is, it's not easy to stand out on LinkedIn, but it's easy to start your branding and positioning process on LinkedIn. And I've been coaching companies on this for over 12 years now. Yep. And the companies I work with invariably experience more wins. As your fellow board member, Admiral Tuttle, used to say, there's a pony in that stable. So there's something to it. He should have been a cavalry guy, not a boat jockey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and, and like, you know, the thing that I tell people, and Mark, and it's this, you know, again, there are so many resources out there that you can leverage. and, And you need to take the time to understand all of the elements of growing a business in the federal sector. Marketing is without fail, a core activity that companies need to understand and, and leverage. And whether you bring it in-house, you, you do it, you know, outsourced, however you do it, you got to get it done. It's just like trying to cheat, you know, in business development and capture. You know what? You can cheat all you want you're going to pay the price. You're going to get the results associated with those shortcuts. Yep. So uh, I was going to go to BD after this, but I think a natural sequence here is vetting sources and people. So if, if you find yourself in a, uh, in a situation where you need some outside help. Yep. What, what are your processes for vetting uh, sources and people. I, I start with the people I know that I know, and, and and just like we talk about in federal contracting, you know, this is a this is a business of relationships. It's about who knows you, who likes you, and who trusts you. And Mark, you you know this. I mean, you know, we've been around for eighteen years. You know, as the American Small Business Coalition, the number one way that we generate business is word of mouth referral. All right. You are members, all the other board folks that talk about us. And so 
that carries weight. And so I'm looking for that the same way. If I need a good person to help me with employee benefits, you know, um, my, my accounting proposals, whatever it is, I'm going to go to people I know, like, and trust and see who they know, like, and trust um, and start there. Yeah. And, and the relationship thing, but, you know, take, take it a step further, the relationships you have via social platforms. Sure. So, um, if you're not working the relationships you have on LinkedIn, shoot yourself. Um, <laughs> it is it it is that simple. Um, you know, you're 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 treading water. Somebody's got a life preserver. They're like one degree away from you, and you're right. not asking for it. Right. Um, and you know, if you, you get a phone call from a company, you look them up on LinkedIn. Three weeks ago, the guy was flipping burgers or selling real estate, and now he's telling you how to get a GSA schedule, or I'll walk you through that 8A process. Yeah. Uh, you know, only <laughs> for 10 grand. Um, oh, man. So, Mark, you're, you're, you're causing flashbacks for me, okay? This, this is literally one, one, of the, one of the chuckleheads I had to, you know, go up against on, on LinkedIn not too long ago is literally that kind of person. They're everywhere. Yeah. You know, they think if they read somebody's blog, they're an expert. Well, the person whose blog you read didn't have any more of a clue than you do. Well, and that that there's the trick right there. People are going out and paying money to people to do things who have as little or less knowledge than you do. And how's that going to work out? You know, uh, the, the calls I don't like to get are, from people who have gone through the uh, GSA process with with a moron, and they call and say, uh, can you help me? I go, well, no, I can't. I don't do GSA, but I know several people that do, so right. I can do up with them. And they go, but I already spent my budget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, and, and again, it, it, it comes down to due diligence, you know, and I, I don't know what – is different about how we look for a bank for ourselves personally and how we do it as a company or how we shop insurance providers as an individual versus as a company, but there's something different about it. We, we don't apply always the same due diligence. And again, due diligence is just the thing. You need to vet everything. You know, trust but verify. You know, if you find someone that looks like a good fit for you that you want to work with, talk to three friends. You know, talk, find out who knows them. And the thing about LinkedIn that's wonderful is you can visualize your network and everybody else's. You I mean, you can literally see who knows who. And so if somebody says, yeah, I've been doing work with so-and-so and so-and-so, go validate that. Call so-and-so. How they do for you? There you go. All right, we're going to take our last break. You're listening to Am Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Guy and I will return and wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Am Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Guy Timberlake of the GovCon Club and the American Small Business Coalition. You can find him on LinkedIn, or you can find him at govcon.club. Um, I suggest finding them at LinkedIn first because that'll take you to GovCon Club. Um, Absolutely. And, and you can connect. So um, 
the the uh, I'm going to preface this with something. I I I told you between takes. I wrote an article a couple weeks ago called "What Is Marketing," yep. and it was predicated on a post from Carl Dixon, who wrote a uh, an article called "Marketing versus BD." And uh, I reposted Carl, got a lot of comments on it without even curating, really. Yeah. So I, I decided I was going to write, you know, what is marketing? And it got a lot of discussion. Um, you know, uh, it, 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 it got what I wanted, right? Made people think. But it also drove people to ask me to write what is BD. Yep. Uh, well, I'm a marketing guy. I think there's a lot of overlap, but business development. What, what's going on here now? So, I mean, if we, if we go into kind of splitting hairs um, about what the outcomes are, you know, in the BD life cycle, there may be overlap, but marketing and BD are different. And, and BD, business development, you know, we call it little BD, you know, outside of the big BD is really your intelligence operation. This is where you are qualifying leads, probably generating some new ones. Also, if you're smart and leveraging some marketing, you've got leads coming in from that side as well. But basically, business development is where you take that information and you bang it up against the wall a few times to test to see whether it's the good stuff. And so it's about getting information. It's about relationships, either finding the relationships you need or working on those relationships you need, you know, both customers and potentially partners. Um, business development, again, the small BD, one of the pieces of the pie, you know, in, in the in the Shipley uh, arena, you know, this is what we would call the opportunity assessment, um, you know, piece of that. So, Business development really used to be my first BD gig years and years ago. You know, I sat with the customer. You know, I was with customers, end users, program folks, cores, whatever, on a regular basis and just learning everything I could, offering up some some responses based on things that our company could do. But I wasn't selling, per se. That wasn't really my job at the time. Now, that was a very different government contracting arena back then. That's where small companies could afford to have somebody on the bench just doing BD. That changed a lot since 9-11. So what you've got now today are people that are wearing multiple hats. They have a little bit of marketing, some BD responsibility, maybe throw some capture in there too. Heck, they're probably even writing proposals. and so. Business development as as a discipline is really about getting smarter about the opportunity and the customer. Okay. So from, from my, you know, the classic view of BD from half of the market going back to the 80s and 90s was, yep. oh, those are the people that go out and have lunch. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and, um, and that's and that's BD the the role or the person as opposed to the function. And 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 that's what it was because I was one of the that, I was one of those people that went out and had lunch. 
you know, we go to the golf course, you know, happy hour, those kind of things. And what you don't see is what really is going on there, quite honestly. But yeah, it's so the BD role. And again, depends on which definition you're using. The one years ago when I was doing it or the one today, people that are doing BD, a lot of them are really just salespeople. And some of them are actually really more, I'll say, capture managers and executives um, who are fulfilling some of the BD. The old BD role, the one that I used to do, is actually more commonly known as a BD analyst today. So they're really working inside. All right. Some of them go out now. There's a lot of different variations on that term, BD analyst. But in a lot of companies, small, medium, and large, you're going to have a group of people whose job is simply to get information that will be consumed by maybe the, the VP or somebody on the capture side of the room, whoever it is that's going to take the next steps. But they're not really focused or empowered to go and create relationships. It's really more about the information. And the information being used to determine what is viable and what is not. Right. So my question or comments are, there are so many tools now. There's so many sources of information on what's emerging. There's some really excellent people out there. And I'm not going to name any because uh, I'll leave somebody out and they'll be offended. But (laughs) um, I uh, if if you're listening to this, you know who I'm talking about because I aim business your way. Um, but there there's people out there that do this, but it's they're, they're doing it predicated from the data that they glean. And I don't know if they're using a Ouija board or AI tools sure. or massive experience or whatever the heck they're doing. But they can pull out stuff and deliver it to a client, but it still lacks that relationship. The touch. The touch. You're right. No, that's exactly right. So it's a multi-step process. And one of the things that I like about where we are today, Mark, is back when you and I, you know, first met and started doing this stuff, you know, the internet didn't exist. And so any business development, anything going on was coming from, remember the old input, you know, or the commerce business daily, or actually going out and talking to someone. And, you didn't, and you didn't even done. need a face card to get into an agency. That's right. That's exactly right. And so the multiple elements of this and the way we like to try to help people position this is before I start expending any political capital, before I start burning, you know, relationships, things like that, I want to make myself as smart as I can before I ever pick up the phone or send an email. So I'm going to pull everything in that I can using available data now you know me mark you know I, i'm not i'm not a big fan huge fan of the you know the aggregators of market intelligence and i'm saying that with a smile tongue in cheek because i like going to the raw i go to the source data so i'm using fpds and gm using it dashboard and cal and things like that to go to the source data there's an economies of scale benefit to using someone's other services. So I'm not going to take anything away from them. But then what I'm going to do is when I want to reach out to someone on the customer side or the buyer side, or simply just the small business, the information people, I'm not going to really ask them questions other than, is this true? 
I'm using them to validate what I already know, as opposed to using them as part of my initial discovery. And that's where the BDAs, a way a lot of companies are using them, are excellent. Because you're talking, you know, you're not paying them the salary that, you know, the, the hired gun BD people, employee of 1099 get, but they're still making good money. But they're also really excellent because they get in and start using these tools, right? the free ones and the fee-based ones, and they can pull stuff out that will make your head spin sometimes. Indeed. Final thoughts, my friend. Well, Mark, it's always good to be here with you. We could do this all day. and We've proven that because we've done it before. Yeah, um, we have. But I, I'm going to say this. You know, there, there's a lot of great information available to you that will help you with doing business in the federal sector. Mark Amtower is the quintessential godfather of government marketing. If you're trying to get smart about that part of the business, you need to look at Mark. And then the stuff that he doesn't do, he'll refer you to the folks that he knows in in those venues. When you're looking at business development and really truly understanding small, medium, or large company, how to streamline business development, come check us out. We've got a program we've been doing now for 12 years, ethical stalking for government contractors. Um, We get compliments across the board from large companies, government agencies across the board. We'd love to have you in a boot camp sometime. Guy, thank you. And, uh, you know, what is it, 18 years ago, you dubbed me the uh, godfather and if you ever hear that in in public, if you hear somebody call me the godfather, blame Guy. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I will accept responsibility for it because it's all true. Well, thank you, my friend. This is not my day job. As Guy intimated, I do help on the marketing side of things. I focus on helping companies build a subject matter expert, gain visibility, leverage LinkedIn and content to build out and validate that subject matter expert platform. If that resonates with you, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Offsetter. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about, sitting across from your date. It's going... Another round? Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served. Go ahead, enjoy. After your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express, don't live life without it.